invite you to take time and turn with me to Romans chapter 12 as we continue on in our series. I think, if I recall, it's been about a year and a half since we have started um, the book of Romans. So what I decided to do when we get to chapter 12 is just slow it down just a little bit so we don't go too fast. I want to welcome Every single one of you here to Big Woods Bible Church, especially if this is your first time, we welcome you. Before we get into the time that would set aside for the word, just one brief little update. Okay, so just kind of set this aside before we dive into Romans. If you recall, April the 10th, uh, this past um, month, we gave opportunity for listening sessions where we gathered after worship service in a small little pockets, groups of 8, 10, 12, to meet with the elders. I think there was about 10 different groups. And I wanted to thank you for that. Also, I wanted to report to you some of the findings and where we are in this process so you can help hold us accountable to continue to listen and continue to accomplish together Um, what God has called us to do as a local church. We gave you questions ahead of time. How are you growing spiritually? What ministries have been a blessing? What ministries have not, in a sense, kind of helped to the degree that you feel that we need? How can we come alongside of you? We spent the last two elders meetings kind of compiling that data, and I want to report to you a couple areas as far as where we are at. Again, not every single question, concern, answer can be given by this point, but things are in progress. Already heard from Robbie in regards to our campus ministry as he's our intern. More college age involvement and integration in the body. That's what we're working towards. So you've kind of heard bits and pieces of opportunity for us to come alongside of them and them to come alongside of us. Another area was women's ministry and the needs there specifically. And it's challenging because you have the needs of a single mother to an aging grandmother to a young college lady, young college woman. How how do we minister to all of these needs? Uh, Brianna Badorf has been um, appointed kind of point person on that. She'll be meeting um, with the elders with some women's ministry representation as well on May the 11th. So please be in prayer for that. Also increasing fellowship connections. Church happens outside of Sunday morning. Backyard barbecues, we've kind of reinstated um, every single Tuesday. Take take advantage and opportunity. You will be able to have conversations around a dinner table in someone's backyard that you just cannot have here. So make sure you do that. We also look forward to three different events Um, Outdoor services for the 1st of June, the 1st of July, the 1st of August, and we have opportunities to fellowship after each one of those as well. Our seniors fellowship, um, if you are whatever age you want to categorize, I'm not even going there, increasing opportunities. We're really listening and we're looking for some some, some leadership in that area. If you're interested as far as, hey, we can organize this time to just hang together and talk about sharing pictures with our grandkids, whatever 
you do, then please make sure that you speak to us. And then the last one are youth opportunities. Right now we have youth that are involved in greeters ministry, children's ministry, coffee ministry, worship. We want to increase opportunity for our young people, our teenagers, to be involved as well. So we're working on all of those. I want to thank you for sharing your heart. Um, obviously, there's a lot of moving parts and pieces to the body, but we appreciate um, the opportunity to hear from you. So a bit of an update on that before we dive into Romans chapter 12. I so much enjoy preaching over announcements. Would you bow your heads and pray with me as we dive into this word? Father, we uh, love you. We thank you for the day that you've given to us, your day, set aside from all others to rest, to recoup, but to be, be reminded of who you are and why we exist, why we have been given breath in our lungs to worship you and to live for your glory. But we, Lord, need your help. I need your help this morning. And so together as we gather as family, brothers and sisters, I, I pray, Lord, that you would steer us and guide us. Challenge those that need challenged. Comfort, please, Lord, those who need comfort. Guard my mind and my mouth. May you speak. And may we hear from you. We ask this in the amazing name of Jesus. Amen. And amen. Uh, it's been five verses. There are 13 kind of bullet point imperatives. We're kind of going slow through each one of those. And there's an overarching theme that whatever we do as a local church... We've got to do this in love. We've got to do this in love towards one another. If we don't figure out how to do this in here, we're never going to be able to figure out how to do it out there in the community. And we know this is a powerful, powerful testimony of the gospel. We reminded you last week that you're not going to win an argument. You're not going to argue anyone into heaven. It's not about, in a sense, who's going to win the debate. It's about speaking the truth of the gospel in love and living it out alongside of one another. Francis Schaeffer says this, Love on display in the church, love on display in here, is Jesus' final apologetic to the world. So we've been working and focusing, how do we do this in light of that we're all different? We all have different likes and dislikes and interests. We all want cut our meat a different direction, different way. We agree it can be difficult, it's challenging, but let me tell you this, it is well worth it. Jamie Dunlop, associate pastor at Capitol Hill, says this, just as a tiny set of dumbbells hardly shows off the bodybuilder's strength. Love in your church that's natural and effortless shows off the glory of the gospel. But love that's difficult is the antidote to hypocrisy in the church and shows off the power of the gospel. When it's, when it's hard to love one another, that's when we begin to make progress. 
We were away a um, week before last to a conference in Louisville, a bunch of guys together for the gospel. And it's always, always encouraging 12,000 people singing holy, holy, holy. And we were challenged to the preaching of the word of God, singing and listening and learning. And one of my favorite guys to listen to, uh, a, a, a well-seasoned, faithful Pastor uh, John Piper, he founded Desiring God Ministries, pastor for a number of years at Bethlehem Baptist. And he preached a message on the effective connection between Jesus dying on the cross for our forgiveness of sin, but also Jesus died on the cross for our holiness. And it was a, it was a, it was a call to holy living. And after the message... What happens oftentimes is that there's a panel, a Q&A. You can ask them whatever you want to ask. And one of the questions that one of the pastors that was there wrote and sent up was this. Uh, Pastor Piper, over 40 plus years in, in ministry, what prayer have you prayed more than any other one? What, what did you just find your heart opening up before the Lord with more than any other thing? You expect some deep, theological response. And he paused on that for quite some time and he said, you know what prayer I've prayed probably more than any other one? Is this. Hold me. Just hold on to me. Lord, Lord hold, hold me tight. Don't drop me. You know, it's, it's interesting to hear as he gave testimony and he admitted, even in seasons of serious darkness and depression, the Lord was faithful. Never let him go. And what I want to tell you is this. Do you know this? Do you realize this? In God's providence, the Lord holds us tight through the lives of one another. All of us in life together. And he explained the fact it was his wife, Noel, faithfully alongside other friends and, and other pastors and elders. I, I think that is a marvelous testimony of the local church of Jesus Christ that exists for the glory of God. It is rooted, we are rooted in the gospel. And yet together it is what? A relationship that is based on a commitment, a covenant that we have with one another as brothers and sisters to build up one another in the highs and the lows of life. And that's what our text is about this morning. Romans chapter 12, verse 15. It's a very brief. It's well known. It's tattooed on people's arms. And they wear t-shirts. Here it is. The author of the Apostle Paul reminds the church at Rome as the Holy Spirit speaks to you and I today. Here it is. Rejoice. People learn to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. It is well known the New Testament is written in Greek and when translated into English, it often loses, what would I call it, it loses its shine. The, the, the full weight of the author's words at times can kind of give way to grammatical rules and structure and order of our language. And if you were to read this phrase exactly as it was written, you'd actually lose the word end. 
So it would read, as one commentator wrote, as only one charming phase of the unselfish character which belongs to all living Christianity. It would read like this, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. And it's not like, if you get this down, then kind of work on this. No, no, no. It's not one or the other. It's this is what we do. What, what kind of a church would we be? What impact on our community would we have if we were honestly and consistently described like that? Those, those people, they, they rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep every time, all the time. You know me, I'm not really shy from speaking about the importance of togetherness. At, at any moment, any one of us should be able to look left or right and know we are never alone. And I am vocal about that to the place I know of almost annoyance. I've told you that so many times. You may not want to recall, but it's part of our history. Devastating season that began about halfway through March 2020, when we're really not quite sure, like, how are we supposed to do this? And the instruction that we're hearing from others, and like, what's going on in our world? And, and we weren't supposed to meet together, to gather together. And so we offered what we thought is like what? It's, it's the best option of a bad case scenario. It's all bad. What's the, what's the best of the bad case? We offer what's called a, an online, where everything is recorded and it gets pumped out into homes and people watch it all over the place. But what's interesting, what's happened is this, is that people have disappeared. Some of your brothers and sisters, in a sense, it's almost easier to just stay home. You, you know why? Because it's, it's not as messy. You see, when we spend time together and we bump into one another, that's really messy. That's really hard. And what happens is when people separate and they isolate, the result is what? We have people all over the place that are hurting and lonely and they're struggling and they're weak and they're vulnerable because they've lost the togetherness. You and I have a responsibility. As members of the same body that we've committed is to go get them. Is to pray for them and to love them because individuals are wandering. And what happens? I think, I think it's channel 871, but I'm not exactly sure. Nat Geo. And we all what? We are fascinated, I'm fascinated with, with stories about the predator and the prey. Where there's this hunt thing that we watch. And who's watching this and how they watch this and how they get this footage, I have no idea. But it's this apex predator that's hiding and lurking. And what happens when, when the predator is watching the herd of gazelle? 
He watches until one of them, what? Drifts off, wanders, is separated from the rest. And what happens is that they get singled out. And there's a distance from one gazelle to the rest of the herd. And in a moment, it's like, it's like lightning. They never see it coming. The predator pounces and he chases until they are so exhausted. And, and with a swipe, they knock it down. And usually it's with one bite in the back of the neck. They paralyze the animal before they literally tear it to pieces. Isn't it interesting at some level that in 1 Peter chapter 5 it says what? For you and I, to be sober-minded, to be watchful. Why? Because there's an enemy, there's a predator. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone. Let me tell you this, the enemy doesn't care who it is. He wants anyone because he is the father of destruction. Seeking someone to devour. Isn't it interesting, before Peter wrote that in 1 Peter chapter 5, that he says in 1 Peter chapter 4, what? you got to keep loving one another. He talks about this idea of what? you got to show hospitality to one another. you you got to be together here. Earlier in that very same chapter, in 1 Peter chapter 5, he says what? Pastors have a responsibility to shepherd the flock, the group together. What we're seeking and striving to do here? What, what, what is it? What is it that keeps us together? Ultimately, we know what? The Word of God, the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit descended in Acts chapter 2. And what happens is that there is an increased awareness toward others, toward one another. And what happens is that there's a sense of connection. And, and we don't, we're not to limit it. We don't limit the highs and lows to like the massive, the, the weddings and the funerals. Hopefully, certainly that happens. But what happens rather is that it is to be an everyday journey. Everyday journey through victories and defeats that we all go through every single week. The wins and the losses, the highs and the lows, the good days and the bad days. That's why what Paul writes, rejoice with those who rejoice. Or if I could summarize it very bluntly in my own style, laugh much. Laugh much with one another. The word here, rejoice in Greek, is kairo. It means to be glad. It means to be in a state of gladness, a state of happiness, of, of joy or well-being. Now, at first glance, you're like, this is pretty easy. Rejoice. Just clap. Hey, you, you happy now? I'm rejoicing with you. At some level, we're like, this can't be too difficult. Wait, wait a minute. Hold off on this. When there is only one position that's open, there's only one promotion that is going to be made, and it's not you. That's, that's not easy. That's not a fun position to be in. As a matter of fact, I would argue 
that the first portion of this verse, the rejoicing part, is a whole lot more difficult than the second portion of this verse. It's easier to sympathize with one another's sorrows than it is with his or her joys. It, it, it's hard to rejoice when another, when another person obtains what you wanted or thought that you deserve to obtain. Why? Because there's something in life, like there's real things in life here that exist amongst us called envy and greed and, and, and coveting and jealousy. There's, there's things amongst us that are called competition. And these things make it hard to be genuine and honest and sincere in our celebrating, in our rejoicing of another person's success. And that's why what? That's why we must, we must, we must, I must keep the gospel in mind. For what? A sign of us growing in grace, which is our what? Progressive sanctification, work of the Holy Spirit, setting us aside to holiness. A sign of us growing in grace is an ever-increasing awareness of others and a decreasing awareness of ourselves or self-awareness. Yet it is, it is a wonderful way. And I began with saying, this is not easy, but this is a wonderful way to show love for one another. And you will agree with me on this. It is a miserable experience when you choose to withhold your joy. You're like, yeah, I'm not going there. Everyone else can go to the party. I'm going to stay home. And that is a miserable place to be in. And, and I, I have to admit, I, I don't feel, particularly in my younger years, I've, I've not modeled that very well. And I think even that's almost too gracious of a statement. Like modeled it not very well. I, I stink at it. Particularly in my earlier years. I'm learning and I'm getting better. Just bad. I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a team sport guy. You know that. We win together as a team. We lose together as a team. And I love that concept. In baseball, which is, is my, it's just I enjoy that. But, but what happens, even in the team sport idea, there's still something called stats. So it's the whole team, but at some level, the name, the individual name shows up. And usually what happens is they start with the really, really good batting averages and then it goes like all the way down. I thought B was supposed to be closer to the top, but B generally doesn't always end up at the top. It ends up down here. And I, remember, I remember very clearly ball game where, where my numbers, like my, win as a team, yeah, but I stink at hitting a curveball, and my numbers were way down here, and so coach comes, and he says, hey, listen, you're gonna, you're gonna have a different position today. Your, your position's gonna be in that dugout, and you're gonna sit on that bench, and you're gonna watch to see how the game's supposed to be played. Ugh. 
And I remember the kid who was younger than me. I, he took my spot. I earned that spot. And, and the whole team runs out there. And he's in my spot. Here, take my shoes, why don't you? That's my attitude. Huh? His very first at bat, he hits a home run. Kid hadn't hit a home run his entire life. And, and as he circles the bases, and everybody's cheering. Woo! I was just a miserable, miserable, withholding my joy. And that's a horrible place to be. Horrible place to be. So, so we can choose to rejoice. Or what, what, what is the alternative? You, you know it says in Proverbs, he who is glad at calamity will not go unpunished. Would I rather cheer for him to fail? Regardless of the fact one is more challenging than another, it reveals how we are to deepen our relationship and strengthen our fellowship. Why? In here so we can be a testimony of God's goodness and grace out there. So a good test is this. Let me ask you this. How, how do you personally do upon hearing the news of another person's success? They got the promotion. Yeah, their, 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 their kid just got picked. Yours didn't. How, how, how do you do in this? They get the raise. New home. A new, a new baby. I heard just recently of a local church that had gathered as it should, as we will do this coming Wednesday evening, and we gather together and we, we pray. We, we share burdens and, and heavy, heavy hearts and we pray for one another. And when we hear answered prayer, we, we praise God. And we say, thank you, Lord, for that. A local church had been doing that regularly. And there were, there were two young couples that they were praying for that for years had not been able to have a baby. And, and they've been praying for years for this. And then uh, eventually... One of the couple said, we have, we have a praise here. We have a praise here. God's, God's blessed us, and we're going to have a little one. And the other couple was present, and, and, and the other couple, the, 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 the husband raised his hand, and he said, could I please be the one who prays and thanks the Lord for the blessing of that other couple? How, how hard is that? How hard is that? That's, that's, what, that's what it means to rejoice with those who rejoice. Secondly and finally, we are to weep with those who weep. If we are to laugh much, then here we go. We need to learn to cry even more. That, that word clay, oh, here, weep, is literally, it, it means we think of cry or weep. It, it actually has connotations to, to wailing. Like, I'm, I'm not just shedding a tear here. It's not just like a hot one that runs down your cheek. You, you're, you're, you're aching and mourning inside. Matthew Henry says, true love, true love will interest us in the sorrows and joys of one another and teach us to make them our own. That's the body. 
That's what we are called to be like. The little nine-year-old boy whose next-door neighbor was an elderly gentleman who had recently lost his wife of many, many years. And the little nine-year-old boy saw the older gentleman sitting on his porch and he was sitting there in tears. And the nine-year-old boy walked over and just, just climbed up and sat in his lap. Just sat in his lap. After a long period of time, he eventually came home and, and his, his mommy said, so son, what, what, what did you tell? What would you, what, you say to our neighbor? The nine-year-old boy says, I, I didn't tell him anything. I, I just helped him cry. I just helped him cry. That's, that's, you know, that, that's how we move. We oftentimes move forward actually by slowing down, by sitting down and, and seeing others. When one of us weeps, we should all weep. Because what we're instructed to do that when one of us hurts, we are all to hurt. That is what? That is what the body of Christ does. We've heard such horrific, yeah, but, yeah, but real men don't cry. Only, only babies cry. Well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let, let's consider the Apostle Paul for a moment, who often, many times, expresses what? Weeping. Acts chapter 20, the Apostle Paul says this, I, I serve the Lord with great humility and with tears in the midst of severe testing by the plots of the Jews, which means at some level, because of the attacks that were coming his direction, because of the criticisms which we've all faced, because of the hardships that others have inflicted upon us, Paul says, I, I've wept. That's what we are called to do, to come alongside one another. Or how about this? Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, I, I wrote you out of great distress and anguish of heart and with many tears. Not to grieve you, but to let you know the depth of my love for you. Do you, know, do you know why Paul is crying here? Do you know why he's shedding tears in this context? Because the Corinthians are, 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 are ensnared. They're trapped in sin, in sinful lifestyle, in sinful patterns, in sinful habits. And he sees them and he weeps. Do, do you weep? For your brother, for your sister that is struggling or entrapped in sin. Another example in Philippians chapter 3 verse 18. Paul says what? As I have often told you before and now tell you again even with tears. Many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Paul's saying that I, I know people that are living in rebellion to the message of the gospel. Our, our grown children, our grandchildren, our neighbor, ones who are living in what? In a contrary lifestyle. We're, we're to not point fingers at them. We're not to throw rocks at them. We're to pray and we're to weep over their lostness and over their rebellion. They're, they're, they're denying the truth. They're blinded. Are, are, you, are you praying that way? For one who's an enemy of the cross of Christ. Not, not, not just the apostle 
Paul's tears. How about, how about the tears of the Lord Jesus Christ himself, who is described as a man of sorrows, and he is acquainted with, or he is familiar with, Grief in Isaiah chapter 53. Three different times throughout the pages of Scripture we see Jesus. The shortest verse in all of the Bible, John chapter 11, verse 35, what? Upon hearing the news of Lazarus, his dear friend, he wept over the loss. And what's interesting is that we know, Jesus knew exactly what was going to happen. Jesus knew that Lazarus, although he had been dead for three days, and it says in what the old King James said, he stinketh by this time. Jesus is still weeping. Why? Because he knows, although Lazarus is going to be raised back to life again, he knows the consequences of sin and the pain of death that will forever exist since the fall of mankind in Genesis chapter 3. He weeps. In Luke chapter 19, it says, And he drew near and he saw the city. He wept over. He just, he just uh, above and he's, he's looking and he's seeing lost people. Our little community, adorable little community of Lock Haven, beautiful rivers and hills is filled with people whose end is destruction, who do not know or not putting their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we wave and we smile, but we are to be weeping over their lost condition and have compassion. Just as Jesus did. There were no greater, greater tears that Jesus ever shed than described in Hebrews chapter 5 in the days of his flesh. Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered and being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who believe to obey him. And there's a reference here, what? To the time that Jesus is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane in John chapter 17. The high priestly prayer. The anguish. Knowing what he was going to suffer. Knowing and yet being willing to endure that. On our behalf. Do, do, do we do this for one another? Your family members, our prayers over our bowl of lucky charms in the morning. God is great. God is good. Yay, God. And we begin our day. And, and I think we're missing what it means in the true essence and the full weight and the gravitas of Rome, Romans chapter 12, verse 15. Your, your own family members who are sitting here, ones that we've not seen because they've disappeared and who knows where they are, who knows what's happening and they're what? A gazelle that is wandering into dangerous, dangerous territory that we have a responsibility to care for and to love. Will, will you do that for them as you commit? Thankfully, we are, we are called to do exactly, this is exactly what God has done for us. The psalmist says what? That, that God has pleasure in the prosperity of his servants. 
Psalm chapter 35, verse 27. God delights when we succeed. He celebrates and rejoices. But also what? Likewise, Isaiah chapter 63. He is afflicted in all of our afflictions. What an amazing God that we have. What a loving, heavenly Father we have who offered his own son. It says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. He endured the cross. May we, as Jesus was willing to sacrifice on our behalf to atone for our sin, may we come to a realization of what it means to follow him fully offer our own lives to him, admitting the fact that we are sinners in need of a Savior, and there's only one. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father but by me. There's no other way. Put our faith and our trust in him. Then we not only have an increasing awareness of him, ultimately, first and foremost, but we have an increasing awareness of one another. May that be our testimony as a church and a community that we truly rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Father, we love you and we thank you for your patience and your grace for us, the mercy that you have shown us that we just do not deserve. Father, help us to examine our hearts, to listen to what you're prompting us to, to do in our lives, the changes that need to be made, the confession of our own sin that we've not celebrate it we've not wept give us the strength to be sincere fill us with your spirit to be obedient we ask this in Jesus name amen